You need to have clear mission, vision, and values, and then only bring on people who align with those. There are people who will join in because of the hype, and they want to be part of something, but they're actually not aligned with the same mission, vision, and values. They just want money, and you need to make sure you have alignment. Otherwise, you won't like working with them, and it's going to cause tension amongst the team. From Caribbean Ideas in Trinidad and Tobago, this is Uptick, a part of the Caribbean Innovation Content Network. Uptick is a show that brings you the stories of Caribbean entrepreneurs and corporate innovators that are building the next generation of great companies. These are the stories you don't typically hear of how these leaders are working to build brands and businesses that can not only impact the Caribbean world, but also have an impact on the global business stage. Their stories will move you, inspire you, push you to take action, and perhaps spark your next big idea. I'm your host, Chike Farrell. Some people look at the Caribbean and they see our vibe and our vibrancy and our potential. Some look at the Caribbean and they see our inefficiency and the things that we don't do or the things we could be doing better. Some people look at the Caribbean and they see more than just an opportunity for themselves. They see a path to connecting the best of the Caribbean to the world. Now that's the type of higher order purpose that I really connect to personally. And today's guest really does so as well. David Mullings of Blue Maho Capital is a Jamaican entrepreneur who is blazing a unique path by embracing being one of those people who can build a bridge between the Caribbean and the world. As a founder of Blue Maho, he's taking a unique and aggressively audacious approach to connecting Caribbean businesses to the US and wider international capital markets. He's taking private equity where many have tried, but few have succeeded. But what's really cool about that is that he's doing it all while living in service of a wider purpose, to be a positive role model and representative of the Caribbean on a global level. And fundamentally, telling stories like this one is what the Uptick Podcast is all about. Now that's why I'm thrilled to kick off season two of the Uptick Podcast, where we feature Caribbean innovators and their stories by introducing you to the story of David Mullins, a story that I believe will inspire and educate. But perhaps most exciting of all, like so many of the stories of the innovators and leaders that we feature on Uptick, his is a story that is very much being written as we speak. Let's hear more from David. All right, so uh, this is um, Uptick Season 2. Um, very excited to be here today. I'm your host, Chike Farrell. Um, we've got a great season uh, where we're really delving into topics around purpose, pivoting, uh, perseverance. And so, you know, really excited to talk today with our guest, David Mullings, um, who we've been LinkedIn contacts for the longest while. And this might be one of the longest times we'll get to actually delve into some backgrounds and have a conversation. So welcome, David. Good to, good to hear you. Thank you for having me, Chike. Really appreciate the opportunity to share with your audience. Lovely. Awesome. Well, well, good. You know, I mean, I think the, 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 it's always good to just Go and start at the beginning. Um, you know, I love to get a little bit of the the backstories as well. So we'll spend a little bit of time there. Um, but before we jump into that, let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now. And so tell us a little bit about what you're what you're up to these days, David. Oh yes, I am the founder, chairman, and CEO of Blue Moho Capital Partners. Uh, this is a Delaware registered but Miami based investment firm, and our goal is is creating access. Uh, to wealth creation opportunities for the 99%. And that's what we're doing. We, we primarily are starting by investing in Caribbean companies, both publicly traded and private companies. And we have an asset management subsidiary that we spun up that's going to be launching an impact fund uh, 
focus on BIPOC founders in the US and the Caribbean, so black indigenous people of color. And this is not just tech, and it's not a purely VC fund, it's actually more private equity oriented. I think of it as growth equity. We are tired of seeing you know, people who look like me, sound like me, you know, being, we would say, underfunded and over-mentored. <laughs> uh, so I'm sure you can relate to that. I do. <laughs> well, that, that that's great. I'm I'm going to be really interested to to delve into that. I've been, um, you know, a little bit in the in in the process of you know interfacing with private equity, both with my U.S. hat on and um, with the Caribbean hat on, and 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 what you're doing is 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 very much needed and very timely given the the times that we've been living in. So we'll we'll dive into that. But let's go back. You know, I want, let, let's talk a little bit about. Um, you know the early years, and we'll we'll wind our way up to what you're doing now. So so tell us where you grew up. I mean, you're from Jamaica, of course, but but let's go in. Where where specifically did you grow up? And tell me a little bit about the the, the early years um, for you. Yeah, man. No. So so dad is a medical doctor. Uh, he started life in Montego Bay. Mom is a nurse. Uh, she started in in Clarendon in in Jamaica as well, small, and they met in Spanish Town. And so my life started in Spanish Town in an area called Keystone, which is in St. Jago Heights. And then I moved to Kingston. You know, Dad was going to be teaching at University of the West Indies in, in Mona, the Mona campus in Kingston, Jamaica. He obviously taught across the region, but that's where he was. And so my life really was you know, Kingston 6. This is this uptown. I'm an uptown kid. I went to Mona Prep. I went to Campion College. But I played football for real Mona. That gave me, I would say, a, a broader view of Jamaican life, true Caribbean life, and different layers that we have. We, we know our, our culture is, is pretty classist. We have to admit that we come from a very British system. But daddy and mom made sure that we went to country a lot. We call it country. We would visit grandma, we'd visit the family members. And so we got to spend a lot of time in Montego Bay or even taking a train. I remember taking a train at like eight years old by myself or with my brother, just the two of us though, no adults heading to Montego Bay from Kingston. So that was, that was fun. I started life in the 80s, but around seven years old, mom became a nurse at Jackson Memorial in Miami. And so she got a little apartment. So we spent a lot of time in Miami. So I feel like I grew up between Kingston and Miami. I finished fifth form at age 15. Uh, I was a year younger than most people in the class. And so I went straight to college in the United States. Obviously, I could go to college in Florida. And so I started at Broad Community College. I wanted to understand the U.S. system. So I started at 15. Uh, finished my associate's degree at you know, 17 and then got a scholarship to the University of Miami and went right back down to Miami, what I consider my stamping grounds, and did that until 2000. Went back to Jamaica because I was so convinced in my plan, which we will get into that. And I just played football. I played football with Real Mona, with their under-20 team, and with their senior team that was in the, the major league, initially in the National League in Jamaica, but I came in at the tail end of the season. And it was fun well, to be... What was your position? So I'm a striker. I, I okay. am a football. Uh, I'm a striker. I'm a forward. I, I modeled myself on Thierry Henry. Okay. I, I tend to use my speed. And it was funny. A few years later, I got to work for Jamaica National Building Society, the largest mortgage provider in the Caribbean. I was on their product development team, business development, helping with the youth marketing and developing investment products, savings products, and mortgages in charge of all the websites, social media. I, I designed that. I wrote their social media policies. But I also played for the, the JN Business House team in the Kingston and St. Andrew Football Association. You know, full thing. I mean, these guys had some serious players. 
It was fun. I was a leading goal scorer that year in Jamaica. This was 07. I also got to the rally driving. I was a rally driver for a year and a half in Jamaica, and we, we placed first for the season with a front-wheel drive car. You know, This is naturally aspirated a little starlet. So I've had a, a wide range of life. Uh, you know, I just just you know, I just turned forty, so you would wonder how I managed to squeeze in all of this. But life really was between Kingston, Jamaica, and Miami, Florida. That is where the core is. I went back and did my MBA in two thousand one at the University of Miami, and this is you know, the age of of twenty. I went back up, and so I graduated at at twenty two with my MBA, and my brother and I are the two youngest. He was actually there with me with MBAs a year younger. And so we were two of the youngest uh, black legacy uh, graduates from University of Miami because my dad had done his master's in public health at UM as well. And so that's where life has been. And I keep moving back, right? In 2005, I moved back to Jamaica again and worked yeah. for a year and a half, came back to the States, worked in a private equity firm, and then went back to Jamaica again uh, to do some consulting with Jamaica National. So I I feel that like I have one foot there in the Caribbean and one foot here in, in the US. Uh, we still have the house there, still have the car. And I, I feel very tied to uh, that region, just the people, the culture, the music, the food, just so much potential. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think my um, father, um, you know, before he passed away, he, he used to, to say to me, you know, you um you know a part of a generation that can really straddle worlds um and you can you can move in between you know different places and there are some advantages to that if you have that opportunity um and and what i hear from you is just sort of very similar right i when i describe to people um some of my background i say yeah a lot of yo-yoing around between mm -hmm. north america and and the caribbean i hear a lot of that which which is interesting because you know when you when you do some of the things that you do, and particularly what you're doing now, you can see the you can see the you know the imprint, if you will, um, and how you could you could have some core insight into now taking that ability and trying to bridge those worlds, which is really interesting and it's something that we're gonna you know delve into a little bit. You know, before we go too too much further down that road, tell me a little bit about um influences so so your career um has spanned lots of very interesting things as you mentioned um but 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 uh, clearly a thread of finance and a, and a thread of entrepreneurship um was there anybody around you when you were younger since you said you know based on what dad and mom were doing you know was either of them an influence for a, a, an entrepreneurial direction or a different family member a different person what what do you think you know led you there or was it just always a, a part of oh no i i know exactly what led that into there so it started with mom and dad right you know, dad's father my grandfather uh, grandpa mullins was actually an insurance salesman and then you know, grandma uh, mullins eunice was also uh, a shopkeeper she had a shop in montego bay so they always had been involved in business mom's parents were teachers but had a little business thing farming on the side so what my parents encouraged me to was get that degree but also be willing to take some risks so at the age of 15 when i finished fifth form dad asked me what i want to be when i grow up and i said oh, i want to be a positive role model for young people around the world especially young jamaican males and dad was like oh gosh i didn't expect that kind of an answer but we know you, so that means you have a plan. What is the plan? I said, well, there are four options. One, I could become a lecturer at university like him. And he said, well, I'm flattered, but you know, that's that's not going to help the people who drop out of high school, and they need the most influence, so remove that one. What's number two? Well, I could become a politician and become prime minister of Jamaica and be a different kind of prime minister who doesn't tolerate corruption, who deals with crime, who passes better laws and invests in education. 
well, that could work, but we think you have to give up a lot of the morals and values we raise with to get into a position of power, and it probably going to get us shot. So just don't bother with that one. <laughs> so typical uptown Jamaican parents. So we move that off the shelf. What's the last two? I could become a star footballer and use that for good, or I could become an entrepreneur who owns my own film company and music company and influence what people listen to and what they watch. And so that said, those aren't mutually exclusive. Going forward, every summer and every Christmas, you need to present a business plan where we can invest 10,000 US dollars in it and you need to give us five-year projections. And so at age 15, I started presenting business plans using flip charts to mom and dad. And they said no for five years until the first semester of the MBA program. During that time, when we launched that business, you know, we have someone I consider my god brother, right? That's not a real thing, but this young man, Richard Powell Jr., he was a year ahead of me in high school at Campion. His brother was in my year. He's a family of three. We're a family of three. My dad is his brother's godfather, Joseph, his middle brother. His dad is my brother's godfather. He's now my oldest son's godfather. And Richie had gone off to Harvard and really smart, just one of the smartest people I know, and a great footballer as well. And while he was there, he launched a website called Fuxito.com. He won, well, came second in a business plan competition between MIT and Harvard. And then got like you know, 1.4 million in venture capital funding, moved to Silicon Valley, the floor above Yahoo. He's on the cover of Inc. Magazine at like 19 years old. And I'm like, I talk to this guy all the time. I grew up knowing this guy. Like, I'm not that much dumber than him. He's not that much smarter. Let me learn. And so I was learning from Richie as he was building. It's how you raise money, how you scale the company, how you do the marketing. It was fascinating to watch what happened with the dot-com bubble where they still sold it and made a good return for the investors, but it wasn't what he expected. And he moved into private equity. So when we launched Real Vibes, my brother in February 2002, Richie was one of the investors. It was mama and dad, and then Richie wrote a bigger check into it and became chairman. And the first thing he said was that it is easier to raise money to buy a profitable existing business than for a startup. Real Vibes has a 99% chance of failure, but you're going to use this business to learn how hard it is to actually start and then scale a business. It's going to be a lesson for you. And you're going to be able to apply things from an MBA as just much as possible into it. But then he mandated that every month we would read a book. Every book he got from his mentors, I had to read and then discuss it with him. And then every quarter we would meet with him in Orlando to go over things like all of Warren Buffett's annual letters to shareholders, Jeff Bezos's annual letters to shareholders. And so he was the one that pointed me in the direction of Warren Buffett, which then allowed me to discover Michael Leachin as well. And right. it, it grew from there. It literally came down to, we wanted to do an entertainment entity. We couldn't raise the money. So we had to learn a way to go and manage capital, make money for ourselves. And so eventually we could spend our own money to do the entertainment side of the business. Right. So that's, that's kind of fascinating because you, you know, you're basically getting a, a very early education in the, you know, the ups and downs and trials and tribulations of, of entrepreneurship and learning yes. from learning from other people who um, have both been along the path, <clears throat> but maybe a little bit ahead, but a little bit ahead from a similar background like you, exactly. but also looking at the the Warren Buffetts and 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 others in terms of their investment thesis. That's a pretty fascinating way to um, you know, to start building some muscles. Exactly, muscle memory. And and the yeah. important thing too is that you start there, but you know, not everybody remains your your coach or, or teacher forever. Right? You you upgrade, you change bells, you, you might switch teachers. So started with with Richie and he had me come and work with his private equity firm after their first exit. Yeah, they had bought a company for fifteen million. 
was doing 65 million in revenue. And they scaled it over seven years to $1.1 billion in revenue, US dollars, and sold it right. for 200 million. So he brought me in and said, work with me for two years, learn the ins and outs of private equity, learn how to negotiate, learn how to leverage debt, learn how to find the levers for these businesses and scale and leverage your MBA, right? MBAs are not designed for startups. MBAs are designed to manage companies that are already big and existing. So we want to tweak them, fine tune them. And he said, give me two years and I will write a check to help you launch your own investment firm. And so a year and a half in, he actually wrote that first check and, and got us going with the first investment firm that we attempted. So you know, he definitely kicked it off. And then met Michael Leach in thanks to my dad. And we really hit it off. We were both you know, Warren Buffett fans. And this is now eight years ago in that Mike and I would talk every now and then. And it was really two years ago that we sat down and I made that call. I humbled myself. I say, you know what? I have access to the guy. I'm not asking him to coach me. Like, I'm stupid. Anybody else who would have access to him would have asked for a lot more than I was asking for. Uh, let me sit down and explain to him the plan. And, and that's when Mike said, all right, I'm in. I'm coaching you. Let's go. Uh, you're not going to make the same mistakes I made. You're you know, 38, 39 when you're kicking off your investment firm. I was 39 when I started mine, and I was feeling in the dark. You're going to have an advantage that you will not make the mistakes I made because I'm here to coach you. So let's go. Yeah. Yeah, and and that has changed my world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I, I saw some of the you know things and the the clear connection that that you have with um, with Michael and yeah, and he's certainly um, you know one of the Caribbean entrepreneurs that 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 I look to and and I think many others do as yeah, you know, made it not just um, on a Caribbean scale, but I think one of the things that's really important for me, um, for for my co-founders and our company, you know, our, our actual brand or company mission is to help Caribbean people and companies become more globally competitive and influential. And so any example of someone that does it on the world stage, which I think is a major opportunity for Caribbean people, is you know, is the type of example that you want to look to. So, so I want to we'll, we'll 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 talk a little bit more about that in a second because I think there there's some pieces related to purpose. But actually, you know, we have these three themes that I really wanted to explore this season. Um, you know, around uh, purpose, pivoting, and perseverance. Right, and just listening to you talk, there were sort of elements of both the pivot and the perseverance. I want to go in a different direction and let's talk about, you know, multiple companies founded because you, you you did real vibes and then you did another investment yes. company and then you did another one and you're kind of, you know, taking something from each one. So talk a little bit about the, the obstacles that you, you know, have had to, um, you know, overcome and learn from with each successive venture. If right. You you know? and, and so that, so I don't use the word pivot because I think when you pivot, it means you go away from what your original goal was. So, so I'm sure. careful about that. I think, you know, a good friend of mine, Matt McCullowitz, who, who wrote a number of books, Toilet Paper Entrepreneur and Profit First, among some others, talks about tacking. He uses sailing as the example. If you want to, to sail to a specific point, you can't go in a straight line. You have to tack. Most of us don't sail, so we can't relate. So I was like, Mike, like you need to use something that we can relate to, like <laughs> basketball. You can't just dribble straight to the to the hoop, man. And I need to get around some people, and sometimes I even need to pass the ball or putting. I think most of us have played miniature golf. Yeah, imagine that you could put the ball towards the hole, but there's no penalty. There's no stroke penalty for not getting it in. So take for as long as you need, but you know where you want to go. So I've always had a true north, and that is be a positive role model. So every business we're looking at. 
how does this help me become a positive role model? So from an outsider's view, oh, he's doing something else. He's pivoting. He's changed. And for me, it's like, no, is this helping me be a positive role model? That's all that matters. Uh, there are different ways to accomplish the same thing, right? So that was the focus. The lessons that we've learned, though, are the number one, you cannot hang on to money, right? Don't try and be head cook and bottle washer. You should actually raise whatever capital you can and then bring on somebody to help you with things that you don't like doing. So so if you don't like accounting, please just go pay the accountant, right? You're probably not the lawyer. Pay the lawyer. Don't just download the thing from LegalZoo. You need to protect yourself. So, so don't be afraid to deploy capital in a way that it is invested to help the business. It is not an expense. It is an investment in the business. So that's number one. Don't hang on to the money. Deploy it and get help. Number two, though, is that you need to have clear mission, vision, and values, and then only bring on people who align with those. There are people who will join in because of the hype, and they want to be part of something, but they're actually not aligned with the same mission, vision, and values. They just want money, and you need to make sure you have alignment. Otherwise, you won't like working with them, and it's going to cause tension amongst the team. So that's number two, mission, vision, values, clearly articulated, and then only bringing people who are aligned with them. The third one, though, for me is that raise as much money as you can as fast as you can. You know, a lot of us like this whole bootstrap thing, man, and the bootstrap mentality. And I say, screw that. Raise as much money as you can as soon as you can. Stop worrying about, oh, I gave up 10% of the company. Like, fine, don't give up 49. And please actually don't even give up 40 unless you're raising a chunk of money. And it's the right partners, right? You want smart money. But raise capital. Being an undercapitalized business is not cool. It's not. And number four, again, give us five. Number four is that you need to make sure that you actually pay attention to your family and your friends when you're doing this startup or when you're doing this business and scaling up. You know, I made the mistake of, of burning out. I ended up in a hospital two years ago. I nearly died and we had to have emergency surgery and it put me on my back for the next, you know, I had 18 months of recovery. I was out for six weeks, stuck in a bed. The world didn't fall apart. But it was important to realize that, oh, crap, the world didn't fall apart. I didn't have to be burning the candle at both ends. You don't need to burn the midnight oil. It's, it's actually not good to be doing that. You need to, to separate that work time from that play time, that family time. You know, I was always, oh, I'm going to just tuck this aside and not having lunch or dinner with my parents or my brother or the friend in town or my wife because I'm building this thing. And when it works, I will make up for all of it. Guys, I'm doing this. Yeah, I'll have all the time in the world. I'm doing this for you guys. And that just say, you're not doing it for us, you know. You actually need it for yourself and your little ego. It's for you. You have to admit that we benefit from it, but you're doing it for you and you alone. And you're dropping the ball. And I never forgot when I said to that, I'm not dropping the ball. I'm, they're little glass balls. I know they're delicate. What I'm doing is putting them on the shelf and just tucking them away. And I'll play with them when I have time. But this is what matters right now. And dad said, you know, when you tuck away something in the corner, you know, you can collect dust, I will never be as shiny as before. Be careful what you are tucking away. And so we don't talk about work-life balance in our family. What dad said to me is that, you know, family needs to be the center and everything revolves around it. So it's like the sun with the planets revolving around it. And this was important to me because I, I wasn't home as much, right? I actually moved to Germany for three months when we had a seven-month-old baby and that's the third child so my wife had the two young kids and then a toddler and a baby and i was off to germany for three months to go and be in a, a program and so you know two weeks in she, she literally just said right, the first week was working the second week is tough so you know it's either you come back on a flight or you just send the divorce papers and we can just deal with this 
So I was on a flight the next day. I didn't care. I was on the flight. And then I was every month I'd fly back and forth between Germany, between Berlin and Orlando, Florida, because I realized I needed to try and at least save this. This was entirely my fault. And so that's important is, is finding a way to not forget that you are a human and you have people who you should spend quality time with because you never know. You might wake up like me one day with a sharp pain in the abdomen and get rushed to the hospital and be told, hey, you have a 30% chance of not waking up. You need to call your wife. You need to call your next kid and prepare for this. And I was like, crap, what regrets did I have? I regretted not spending more time with my family and friends. I didn't regret not spending more time in the office or yeah. programming. So uh, that's number four. And then number five, and most important, is to develop the mental toughness to accept a no. A lot of us want everybody to believe in us, for everybody to say yes. And I had to learn that from, from doing sales. It was great to work at Blockbuster as my first ever <laughs> job at 16 years old in 1997, where you just don't get everything. Right? And I learned that you know if you expect 100 no's and one yes, then every no you get, you just say, yeah, I'm just closer. I'm a little bit closer. I'm a little bit closer. That's right. That's a, power, yeah. that's a powerful one, for yeah. sure. You don't have to convince everybody to believe in what you do. And it, and it was funny, the MBA marketing class talked about, you know, that, that diffusion of innovation curve where we talk about where somebody is. Are they an early adopter, for example, or are they late adopters, laggards, that kind of stuff. It's like, ratted. So I just talked to this person, but no one knew where to put them. So they're not stupid. I shouldn't talk to them as if they're stupid. They're just not yet there and where they need to be. You are not ready to buy an electric car, for example. Like, okay, great. I don't need to convince you. I don't know what bucket to put you in. So when you tell me no, what you're really saying is no, not right now. Correct. And then I move on, but you don't burn that bridge. That was very hard to learn. I would say after the first business with real vibes and people would say, no, we felt like they were stupid. It's like, guys, the internet is the future. There's nothing like this. A Caribbean MTV online, we have all this traction. We have you know, 2 million visitors. Why wouldn't you advertise on there? You're stupid. And I would say that to them. Right. Nobody, nobody likes being told they're an idiot. Right. And so, so we had to learn not to be like a Steve Jobs type, you know, person. It's like, oh, it's like, all right, guys, we'll come back to you when you are ready. We'll keep you posted on how things are going, though. So yeah, don't 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 worry about the no's. Each no is one more step closer to a yes. But please, 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 don't tell people that they're stupid because they don't believe in you right now. Yeah, that's powerful. You know. I want to dive into, you know, one aspect um, or a couple of the things that you said there. What, you know, one of the things that you talked about is uh, people and and having um, similarly, you know, worked with, hired, recruited, fired, managed people, you know, in multiple, multiple markets, multiple cultures. Um, you know, I, I, I love Caribbean people's raw energy and passion and sort of natural smarts. Um, but but there are sometimes you know some extra challenges maybe with 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 managing um, and motivating and kind of creating shared culture and you kind of scratched at that a little bit when you talked about bringing people on getting them engaged in the mission so so, so give me a specific example of you know um, you know things that you had to learn along the way to 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 kind of create that that gelling and 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 identifying who should be in and who should not be in so so the the first thing i had to learn was that not everybody who is a fast talker and claims to have relationships is a good fit for your business right so that, that was a personal example where they wouldn't even listen they wouldn't read 
the books we asked them to read about private equity, they didn't want to learn more. All they wanted to do was make two introductions and then sit there, provide no additional value, but then collect 5% or 10% or, or one, one, one third of the company. So that, that was firsthand, right? It's the same way that somebody say, yeah, man, I want to join a football team. It looked like I was a winning football team, but they've right. never played football in their life and they don't want to learn. Mm-hmm. So that, that was very hard uh, to learn firsthand. Where I, I try to see the good in everyone. I am a firm believer in Toyota's approach where Toyota basically doesn't find anybody. They find another role for you in the company. Versus the United States, it's like, no, you get chopped. Just done. One time. Yeah, we need to follow more of the, the U.S. model. It can be a bit harsh, but you know, provided you give them the training and the proper resources. But they have to have the right attitude. And too many people don't have the right attitude in that they're not coachable. right? And especially if you're in similar age groups, or similar backgrounds, they think they're you, and they, they don't want to recognize your strengths, your capabilities, acknowledge their strengths and their weaknesses, and say, cool, I, I'm going to focus on this part, I, and I'm going to get better. So that, that was a, a very hard one for me to learn, because it costs us a lot of heartache. It costs, it costs friendships, it costs money, and there's still animosity in some cases on their part. I, I don't hold anything against anybody. I don't care. You're just not in my life. I don't deal with you, but... I don't wish you ill. I would like to see you succeed at your dream. I hope that you will mature as a person. I used to hate that word growing up, but I realized that's, that's actually a real thing. So so that was very hard for us to... It was hard for me to stomach, I'd say. My brother was pretty easily like, nah. So my premise is that I see myself in a lot of people. That, that energy, the, the ability to excel. And I always want to be a coach. Right? If, if my wife jokes that we go anywhere if we go beach and somebody have a ball, I'm going to go start kick the ball. And I, me- I remember, for example, we went to one of our church beach baptisms right? and, and the family's on the grass. I brought a football to kick with our eight-year-old. So I'm kicking the ball with him. And some other kids come over to join though because the parents were impressed. They're like, are you a coach? Do you coach kids? I was like, no, why? Oh, because you're showing them how to kick. You're just so amazing with the children. I was like, oh, well, I used to play professionally, so, you know, just showing this. And so they and I ended up having, like, five children in a circle, and I'm not having them just kick a ball. Like, I'm explaining to them, how, yeah, ex- exactly explaining to them how to control the ball, how to kick properly, where to point the other foot. And these parents were amazing. They're like, oh, you should start this. Thing. That's what I end up doing with my teammates. Like, I expect to have staff that come on, and, and when I know something they don't know, I want the chance to coach them. But somebody has to see you as a coach first for them to even listen to you. And I didn't realize that. I thought everybody would want to listen to me because all these strangers want to listen to me. And then at the same time, I want them to coach me on some of the stuff I find interesting that I don't know. And I have people who are shocked that I want to be coached by them. I was like, guys, I'm not, I'm not like a genius, you know, I'm not Einstein. Like, there's stuff I don't know. So show me. I want. Yeah. One of the things that kind of building on that, one of the things that I found um, and in the you know, in this phase of my kind of career and entrepreneurial journey. And it's kind of funny that you you talked about some of the some of the learning. I think that now, you know, we are not um, you know, we're not as old or mature, let's just say, but we're not as, you know, young and spring chickens either. Um, and so, you know, so there's some some lessons of experience and and my my co-founder, Brevin and I joke around sometimes about, you know, the the 40-year-old approach that we have to things and how it was different from the 51-year-old approach that we had to things. Um, and and, and there really is something to that. But I think one of the things that I found kind of building on what you said is really 
um, that in 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 our in our more recent incarnations, we focused a lot more on aligning on 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 a purpose, right? Yes. Um, and and really, you know, continually repeating it, never stopping, and giving people more of a chance or an opportunity to self-select in or self-select out, which you kind of alluded to earlier on. So so how do you now at this stage? How do you find yourself doing more or better job? What what things have you evolved in terms of how you kind of communicate and get mm. people caught into? I love it. That's a, such an important question because so two things that we've learned over the last two years, right? We now have seven people on the team in Blue Moho Capital full time, and another five as consultants, and we meet every Monday morning. And the most important thing I I realized was that. Coming from a competitive background, I mean, I played sports. Right? I swam for high school, I played basketball, and I played football in the second and third division in Jamaica. I always compared things to, to professional football. And I said, hey, guys, you know, I am trying to build a Real Madrid or a PSG, which means I'm going to raise a ton of money and then hire the best people. And if you are not an A-plus player, you're going to get benched or you might even get sold. So you need to buckle up. And I realized that, well, first of all, they want to learn from me. They came in, they came from outside of private equity and investing. They don't have the experience I have. I shouldn't expect them to have the same knowledge yet. It's going to take at least a year for them to be a sponge. And I'm not coaching them. I'm coaching all these outsiders who want me to mentor them. Let me give the same energy to my own team that I give to outsiders. So that was number one. I need to be willing to coach them and provide the resources they request to do their job with. Tell them, here's what I expect of you, and then ask, what do you need from me? And if I don't give it to them, it's my fault. I had to learn to humble myself and admit fault quicker and say, you know what? I am the coach, and I put a goalkeeper as a striker to go score a goal. I cannot complain that the goalkeeper is not scoring. It's my fault. My team has loved that. Right, man, we never had a boss, right? Somebody in charge, a manager that is willing to admit fault so quickly. And that's great. That's powerful, yeah. That, that's absolutely yeah, man, that, that was big. Yeah, and, and that took me 15 years to get to that point. So that, that was a big one. The second one, though, is is making sure that they have the freedom to fail. So I keep telling within my team, especially our chief marketing officer who starts on February 1, I kept saying to her when she said, oh, you know, I'm not sure if it's going to work. I said, I know that. That's why you need to try it, right? And I told her, start thinking of CEO as chief experimentation officer. That's what I am. I want to experiment. I want to test and iterate, test and iterate. Test it, though. Don't tell me you don't think it's going to work. We do not know the answer unless we try it. So let's now have this scientific method approach of experimenting. Come up with a hypothesis and then test the last thing. But test. So, so that's hard to get people who have worked in the corporate world where they beat you down and say, don't do it, don't do it. Yeah, they say, no, 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 do it first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I literally have said to them, it is literally, stop asking for permission, man. ask for forgiveness because I will give it as long as you stick to the mission, vision, and values of this company, of the brand of this company. You are allowed to try things. Just stay within. We know what our values are. Stay within that, but try it. Stop asking me for permission, man. Stop bugging me, actually. I, stop it. Go, go do it. So they're slowly getting there now, and they're blown away that I'm not a micromanager. And I say, no, but I put you in that position because you're good for that position. And what I just said to them now is that we need to start thinking that we don't care about being Real Madrid or Manchester City or PSG who buy a bunch of players. We need to think like Leicester City. We're going to have the most committed team with whatever budget we have, B players, C players, some A players, who will work together and we'll, we'll beat the $100 million and the $200 million teams and we can win a championship. 
Mm-hmm. And that has transformed the way the team thinks of themselves. And and that was amazing. So uh, those things shifted, but it took so long. I mean, it took you know a failed investment firm and Real Vibes failing. And we tested some stuff with e-books yeah, and, and working in, in corporate world to realize, you know what? Here are the jobs I didn't like. Here are the bosses I didn't like. Here's what they did. Okay, let me make sure I don't do those things. Right? Write it down. Don't do those things. Just start with that. And they're going to love you. Yeah. So you you mentioned that kind of for you, you've had a, a guiding North Star being a positive role model. And then, you know, you have a, a business now uh, with Blue Maho that is oriented partially against that, but also against a larger, I, I would say, I, I interpret as a, a little bit larger mission as well to, as we talked about earlier on, you're spanning wheels and you're being a bridge, you're being a connector. So talk a little bit about the core insight behind this business that there's capital over here um, and people over here and, uh, and, 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 you know, young or other or not young, different people in the Caribbean doing interesting things and that they, they needed to be a better bridge. How, how did you get to, to that? Well, so so the, the vision is, is actually bigger than the Caribbean. We start with the Caribbean because that's what I'm familiar with. And, and we had a good story in Jamaica and, and what had happened uh, during their IMF program. So the core for me started with the idea that the 99% don't invest like the 1%. We, we just start with that. We're not taught financial literacy in school. We're not taught with investing about how to invest so so how can we help with wealth creation wealth creation is different from wealth preservation it's two kind two different kinds of investing uh, i had access to that knowledge and i wanted to know, find a way to share that but instead of everybody now having to become an expert investor it, i think it's better to build a vehicle to manage that money for people right the same way that you don't ask your barber for legal advice you don't ask your accountant for investing advice, you go to the expert. So how can you be the, the wealth creation expert? And then let's now focus on a niche. You need to pick a group of people. So we want to focus on the African diaspora, people who look like me, sound like me, especially immigrants. We have our own problems to solve in the developing world, and most of those problems are similar. Latin America, the Caribbean, Sub-Saharan Africa, Southeast Asia, it's the same problems. We have depended too much on on white Americans and white Canadians and white British people to solve those problems for us, and it's very expensive price points. And and I, I was reminded about that in our MBA when it talks about GE wanting to launch a device, and they had a team did, design it in the US to launch in India, and it didn't sell. It's an MRI machine. It was too expensive, and so they had the Indian team and said, "No, go and design something," and boom, it sell like crazy because it was designed by people who understood their culture and understood the problem properly. We need to do more of that, and in fact, you know, a lot of businesses in the U.S. are launched by immigrants. How about we invest in those people before they even migrate? The United States does not have uh, a monopoly or exclusive rights to the smartest people. In fact, they're all over the world, and. You know, the, the world population is obviously not majority U.S. It's, it's majority developing countries, so let us actually invest in there. Well, start with Jamaica and then expand to the wider Caribbean, and then we can go beyond that because I think of the Caribbean as a great R&D testing ground. Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's small, similar cultures. We can get to both English and Spanish. We can expand to Dutch and French as well. But it allows us to to reach out to government really easy. We don't have as much red tape as trying to do something in the United States with, with co-federal and then, you know, you have the different levels of government, state and then county and then city. So 
I want to be able to rapidly prototype things, even business ideas, find them, and then we can scale them into other markets. So that's, that was a vision, and that's how we started. Give the 99% access to the same wealth creation opportunities as the 1%, and do it in a way that was transparent, that had good governance. And then that was innovative. What could we use today that didn't exist 10 years ago, 20 years, 30 years? Well, social media is one of them, right? The internet changed the game. Uh, legal rules have changed. You have regulation, crowdfunding. We have the Jobs Act. We have all these things, the Jamaica Junior Stock Exchange. How could we become a leader in that and help push people that way? And it so happens that because I'm Jamaican, I then get to showcase the Caribbean region even more and shine a spotlight on a, a region that's overlooked. Right? If, if the Caribbean, in my opinion, wasn't doing well, then we wouldn't invest there first. I would have to go somewhere else. It, it just so happened that the Caribbean was great. And I'm from the Caribbean. I've maintained the relationships and nobody's doing it. So now, you know, Blue Ocean Strategy, I love that. This is great. I, I have no competition coming out of the US. It's great. I, I love this kind of thing. But that also means that you're a pioneer in some ways, right? And I've been told that you can tell the pioneers by the ones who have the arrows in their backs. And so we've picked up a lot of arrows in the past with the past businesses, but I felt those were all training. Those were all getting us prepared for the big show. And in fact, some of those businesses are being brought back. Real Vice, for example, is relaunching in February, but we're launching faster and better. Think of it. Actually, I was watching a video the other day because I wanted to try and pull the theme song to the like an Instagram reel. And it's, it's the $6 million man, right? The, the guy that's biotic, he, he's a soldier, but he, he gets injured and they, they, they bring him back better and faster. And that's, that's what we're going to do now. Yeah, that's that's great. So in this latest incarnation, give me an example of of something that, that, that you're really proud of. Um, over the last couple of years that, that you've been able to achieve uh, along the along the journey, and then give me an example of something that you're like, okay, we had this we had this initial insight and way of approaching it, and we've shifted or tacked. It's funny you mentioned that because <laughs> I'm going to play this for my um, team in the Caribbean because I use the sailing analogy a lot. I like to use analogies that I don't do, like. <laughs> So, so, so I, I feel you on that one. But yeah, but give me, give me an example. You know, something that's gone really, really well, and something that you know didn't go as well as as originally planned. But you've been able to adapt to it. So I start with the one that went well, and I'm going to use the most recent one. We decided that we needed to showcase uh, the Caribbean is open for business, starting with Jamaica. I needed them to see the Caribbean through my eyes. I was tired of talking, right? Show, don't tell. And so we had brought on Carol Beckford, former film commissioner in Jamaica. I used to work in marketing and business development for Western East Cricket. I said, we need to develop some sort of video series where we're going to fly to these islands and spend like a week. And so we ended up getting a YouTuber to come with us, Jibril from Passport Heavy. And we pulled that together in 10 days and sponsored by Jamaica Tourist Board, Adam Stewart's Enterprise Rent-A-Car, AC Hotel. Uh, we got Ocean Resorts in Trelawney. The response that has been coming back so far, tourist board, all these Jamaicans saying that Jamaica has never been marketed this way. This is awesome. You know, we have a whole four episodes coming out. I've seen the first episode already. That has just been amazing for me. And it, it worked exactly as I had imagined. Let us showcase these islands differently. It's not just sun, sea, and sand. There's so much more to them. I, I just even for the little budget that we had, I, I don't know. I, I keep saying to people that you know we say in the Caribbean, we say you know you give somebody a basket to carry water. I didn't even give Carol a basket; she had to weave the basket herself. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. So, so that's one that went well. Yeah. In terms of one that didn't go according to plan, that we've had to, to pivot and make adjustments and so on. I, I would actually say that is Blumaho Capital itself. You know, I designed this to raise money within a certain amount of time and to raise a certain amount of money. We brought in an investment bank that made certain commitments and we have blown past uh, their expectations. I expected to have raised that, that few million dollars by then because we wanted to go public. I wanted to be public already. We should have gone public in 2020. I was on Bloomberg in February 2020. Of course, COVID happened. So I get it. Like I didn't plan for that one. But COVID alone wasn't the reason for that. But we now have had to learn what else was a hold up. It wasn't always us. But we, we've learned for that. And, and we've come back stronger. And we're raising 20 times as much money because we made some ass, because we took longer and made adjustments to the business plan, made adjustments to the timeline. And of course, because of COVID, you, you got to see how resilient some of these companies were and others mm-hmm. that weren't. We made adjustments to what our portfolio was. Of course. So we are poised for a rebound. Oh gosh, the timing actually works out. So it, it was important to pause. And in fact, you know, we've now learned a lesson that it is easier to raise a hundred million dollars than raise one million. And just people take it more seriously. When you're asking for, for larger pools of capital, some people came to us and they were like, yeah, yeah, you want to raise X, but you know, can you take 15 million instead? I was like, yeah, I know what to do with a billion dollars. I know how to allocate it. Oh, great. Would you take 15 million? I was like, uh, yeah, I'm not stupid. I didn't think to ask for that though, right? We, we especially in the Caribbean, I feel, are taught to be humble, but that word is, is misconstrued what humility means, right? You're saying bold when he beats his chest when crossing the line. It's not that he's not being humble. The man no same win and he's amazing and you're probably not going to beat his record. You can't ask Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo to be humble as football players. They're amazing and they know that they're some of the best ever. They know their talent. They know their skills. There's a difference about admitting that they're good and then boasting that they're good, right? We tend to confuse the two in the Caribbean. And so what happens is that it causes us to have this denial of self. And, and our abilities, right? We, we play down our abilities. We, we start to question our self-worth. And should I be able to do this? Or you know, I shouldn't even ask for it. I don't deserve it. I shouldn't talk about it. I have had some success, but let me not talk about it. And that's how you inspire more people though. And so I had to learn now that in fact, when you talk about what you're doing, when you talk about the successes, more people show up, more people get inspired and you build a tribe versus we were having problems because we weren't talking about things. And it wasn't yeah. because I didn't want to talk. It was because I, I thought we're not supposed to talk about it. I don't want nobody to feel that I'm boasting. Of course. And and as you've been dealing with and showcasing and, and, and trying to identify these entrepreneurs and these companies that are doing interesting things and that could benefit from more capital and acceleration, what are, for our listeners, what are some of the, the, the common traits that you found um, in the best ones, the A, the, the A players, the A teams? Um, what, what are you seeing that's kind of consistently there across multiple? Yeah, man. So number one is, is a yearning for knowledge. They want to learn and they want to learn about multiple disciplines and don't just stay in their lane. They're not trying to become experts at everything, right? And jack of all trades, but at least want to have a basic understanding. They're reading, they're willing to go and read, listen to podcasts, go and check out articles. That's number one, hungry for knowledge. Number two is that they're team players. So even if something is not in their job description, they will pitch in and help. 
Right? That's 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 just very important. You might not understand that you weren't assigned it, but you know, we need help right now, so I'm gonna jump in and help. So that's number two, team true team players. Number three is that they are able to articulate their strengths and their weaknesses honestly, right? Critical self-assessment is very hard. Most of us don't like to stop and look at ourselves and really admit what our weaknesses are or what mistakes we've made. When you can do that without any emotion attached to it, you become unstoppable because you're going to zero in on those weaknesses and start turning them into strengths as well. Most yeah. people will never do that. They, they, they're too, their ego is too fragile. So you know, being able to do that is, is an important one for me. Right. And then, yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Was there another well, one? Yeah, well, and, and I, I would say that the last one for me is, is empathy. All the best people are able to put themselves in somebody else's shoes and then have empathy for that person. So they don't start off by saying, boy, you know, you should have do this and, or this fool. They just like, no, you know, what was the problem you faced why this didn't happen? They, they come from a different context and a different place. And if you, if you lead with positivity, if you start with that, it completely changes the way you interact with the rest of the team and interact with anyone else. So those things for me are what we look for in, in A players. Yeah, I, lo I love that because, you know, it's funny. Um, uh, one of the one of the hardest things that I've found from when we kind of talked about embedding values and culture in, in you know, Caribbean ideas has been this idea that, yes, you're kind of core traits that you're looking for, like inventiveness and drive for results and agility. Um, but we've always wanted to try to get <clears throat> people to balance empathy and being straightforward. And and, yeah. there's, and, and those two things, the, the, they actually, they work in a very particularly powerful way if you can get them working together. I can, as you said, I can be honest and I can be upfront, but I can also stop and step back and put a put put myself in your shoes and maybe deliver and tailor my message accordingly as opposed to either the classic and chini we say well i tell you what i'd tell you and you just, yeah man oh you want to take it take it yeah man deal you know yeah um, you know yep. with, which which can be effective sometimes but but there are times when that when that is not necessarily going to be as as effective, effective. So finding that balance yeah that that really resonates with yeah, me man. i would say there's a book I, I read this year that was really important well last year i finished it in december called it was about psychologically safe you know, organizations it's called a fearless organization and i never heard that term before but i finally got it right you know i read ray dalio's principles he talked about radical candor and radical transparency and then a good friend of mine sheldon mundle said you know, say what you mean, but don't say it mean. And I had to start realizing that Steve Jobs is amazing, but I don't have to repeat that stuff of just like slicing you when I say something. Like it can be true, but I can deliver it differently. Let me know work more on my delivery. So let's start with what is the outcome that I want? Is it that I want it to feel bad? Or is it that I want you to recognize that you can improve and do it slightly differently? If I want it to feel bad, I can say it that way, man. But then what happens after that? Versus if I want you to learn from it and actually listen and absorb, then I need to say it differently. And it it's it hard for somebody like me, you know, because I grew up, again, being coached for football. And my coach was was the say it mean guy. It's like, yo, you're not good. You're not getting the ball right. Da, da, da. And so that would motivate us to then get better. It's like saying to somebody that, you know, you're fat and you need to lose weight. You're fat and you need to lose weight. You know what? Some people are going to take that as, I'm going to go lose weight. Most people just going to get depressed. So we need to be very careful how we deliver things and start with what is the outcome that we want and go from there. 
Yeah. So I know mentorship is really <clears throat> important to you. And you also mentioned it earlier on in the context of, you know, reaching out to Michael Leachin and saying, hey, you know what, can you coach me? And you also gave, you know, another example of your friend growing up who's also been an important part. And and you've said, <clears throat> you know, I've read that you've said that that's a really important thing now for you, paying it forward, right? And you've talked about it in the context of coaching your team. So so it's, it's been a continuous theme there. Um, what are some of the ways that entrepreneurs who may not have that network and not have that, oh, I don't feel like I have the people or what have you, you know, what have you seen be effective or what would you recommend to them as far as getting coaches and, and yep. getting mentors? So, so I would say one, a separate mentorship from coaching. I think coaching is far more hands-on and regular contact. A mentor might talk to you once every month, once every three months. A coach talking to you once a week, you know, they're setting actual specific goals that they follow up on. So so when I think of coaching, I think of you have a piano teacher or you have a football coach. Like they're there and blowing a whistle almost. So for me, I thought of somebody like Warren Buffett as a coach. I've never met him. I thought of Michael Leachin as a coach before I met him. You know, Mike says, find a role model, get the recipe, don't change the recipe. So I picked my role model, Warren Buffett, and then I studied everything written about him every video that he's ever done, everything he's ever read, that then allows me to identify his principles. I now have a blueprint to follow. So I felt that that was coaching, right? If you say, these are the steps that you need to follow in life to successfully build an asset management company, then hey, guess what? I, I got coaching that is, I don't have to know the person. So I think most of us need to stop and pull back. I say, you know, the internet has actually put all of these successful people at my fingertips, but I want to study Rockefeller, I want to go and study Richard Branson. There's so much information out there in their own words that you can learn. So you can get a coach, right? I put out a ton of stuff. I have people who say, man, I follow your stuff. I feel like you're a coach. I was like, good. That's exactly what I wanted to be. I wanted to think of me as a teacher because we logically know this already. If you, if you pay attention to any religion, like whether it's Jesus or Buddha or whoever, that's what they did. They, they created these principles to then coach and guide everybody else. You, you, I've never met Jesus. I've never met Buddha. We can learn a whole lot from them, though. You know, Confucius, Lao Tzu, the same. So, so we need to realize that you don't have to know the person. They don't even have to be alive to become a coach. You need to not have too many coaches, though, because you, you run astray and have too many competing things. You need to really pick that role model and then go from there. But on the role model side, it's not just a role model for you as a business person. You also need a role model as a father or a mother, you know, or as a husband or a wife, as a manager. And all these are probably not the same people, right? Steve Jobs is amazing as an entrepreneur, but as a manager, I don't know if that's the person I want to be, right? As a father, I don't know if that's the person I want to be either. So you need to pick role models for specific things. And then I think that your company has to have a role model company as well. Not just somebody that you're looking at from a, a competitive standpoint. They say, oh, I want to benchmark against them. I also need a role model company. Do I want to have a culture like Zappos or a culture like Disney? Or do find a role model company as well for your business and then leverage that. I think role models are crucial uh, to outsize success. You can have success without role models, without coaches, without mentors. It might not be repeatable though. And you're definitely not going to have outsize success yeah no absolutely so as we as we wrap you know i want you to 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 maybe share um you know what's next what's kind of you know immediately ahead 
for you, um, you know, in, in, in you know, 2021. Here we are, year two of the pandemic. Hopefully we can get it behind us, but but there's still, there's still lots to do. Um, you know, lots we've learned. We've now had m- multiple months. What's next for you? Um, what are the key goals that you're trying to, to close out close out this year? So so I have some personal goals and I have some professional goals. On the personal side, I've gotten to spend more time with my family because of COVID and I want to keep that going. I think that was something I needed badly. I had I was finding every reason to travel. And I, I, I had no to be stuck at home for you know nine, ten months. So to see the difference it made in their lives was important to me to realize that actually I actually need to make more time for them. Right? The business is important, but it's not as important as spending time with these kids because I won't get back those days and they care. So that's number one. I want to spend more time, quality time with the family. On the professional side, we intend to have this company listed on the NASDAQ before the end of 2021. I mean, we, we are aiming for summer of this year, but anything can happen. But that's our goal. We, we are in the middle of completing our private placement. We expect to make some massive purchases and kick off our impact fund and start showing people that innovation does exist in the Caribbean. Innovation does exist amongst people of color in the United States. And that there's quality management as well. They just need a little more training and they need some guidance, but they need an opportunity. They just need a shot, a fair shot. And that is where we really want to go. You know, we have a, we have a show that's going to be coming out following me as we scale Bloomaho Capital and share how you raise money, how you manage your team, how you put in systems and processes, uh, how we look at investing. And I'm excited to, to roll that out. We, we do this as a real now. We already lined up the distribution. We, we now have a featured sponsor with negotiations with them. That one is going to be probably the most impactful thing that we do this year because it's going to talk about financial literacy, but from the mouth of a, a black immigrant. And that is not something that most people get to see. You know, when I'm in a room, it's usually me out of you know 200 people. I'm the only black person or one of only two or three. So I think it's good to have to change the perception of what we can do. We're not just here to play basketball. You don't have to just become a football player or a track star. We can do finance. We can be entrepreneurs. We can be businesses. And also the way that we do capitalism, right? Stakeholder capitalism versus shareholder capitalism is a big debate now i think that you know covid has now reminded us that the essential workers are crucial labor matters how we treat them matters it cannot just be about putting profits into people's pockets and we've seen a k-shaped recovery that can't happen and that cannot continue we will have another depression we'll have a revolt we'll have a french revolution so how can we have more inclusive growth going forward and i want to become one of the leading voices in that space because that's the way we invest uh, so that is a plan this year is some some big goals we intend to take board seats on a few large public companies listed in jamaica not as activist investors but as helping helpful we think of ourselves as catholic catalytic investors because we want to help open more markets and exactly what you said global competitiveness i am going to be one of the biggest voices to get caribbean people to think bigger and focus on being globally competitive because the pandemic should have just reminded everybody that, hey, we're in the fourth industrial revolution. That means remote work is a real thing. So if you can't work from home, you can't work from anywhere. So why are you only focused on clients in the Caribbean? 
That's right. That's right. Well, listen, I, I, there's nothing really to say beyond that. That's a great way to that's a great way to wrap. You know, I will say to to all of the um, listeners out there that you know anything that David is doing, um, you know, very important work um, representing, uh, as you said, our region and um, you know immigrants and people in the in the diaspora. So you know, check out Blue Maho Capital. Um, and, you know, check out David, uh, you know, learn a little bit more about him and what he's doing. And, you know, I want to thank you for taking some time out, you know, of your busy schedule and uh, you know, really looking forward to see what, what comes next. Thank you, Chike, for reaching out and for following up. I really appreciate this. Keep up the amazing work. And I look forward to meeting up in person, probably in California, when this pandemic is over. That's right. That's right. All right, man. Take care. Yeah, man. Thanks. Thanks. Make sure you know the next time an episode of Uptick drops by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. And remember, share Uptick with a friend. Now on behalf of Caribbean Ideas, this is Chike Farrell signing off. And remember, keep on ticking up.